Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Starbucks Pistachio Latte will transport you to your happy place. The comforting flavor of pistachio, warm espresso and milk, all with a brown buttery topping. Make today a good day. Order ahead on the Starbucks app. Hi, this is Chris D. from the Flesh Eaters, and you're listening to Deeper Digs in Rock. History in five songs. With host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Indeed, welcome back again to another episode of History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff. Pleased, as always, to be part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, available on Spotify, iTunes, and over 40 other podcast platforms. So, this episode, we are going to call Original Punk for Metalheads. Um, you know, I, I wanted to name this show History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff because I didn't always want it to be about heavy metal. I mean, all of our first shows are going to be heavy metal related. I can see myself branching out a little more later, but uh, I thought this was a pretty cool way to uh, to include my love for punk uh, in here. And it's actually very valid because, I mean, here's the deal with punk, original punk. So, you know, back in 1977, and I'm going to defend that year in a minute, uh, back in 1977, you know, literally, if you were a metalhead, you know, I was 14 years old at that point. If you were a metalhead, uh, this was a genre. Heavy metal was a genre where there literally was not enough records to buy to keep you uh, sated, to keep you... Um, interested uh so so you had to go elsewhere i mean you know you ended up buying a lot of albums that really weren't that heavy um because there there just wasn't enough super heavy stuff around um now punk comes along uh you know okay so 1977 i want to defend this as really the first year and everything we're going to talk about in this episode is from 1977 but you know the interesting thing that i i always look back it's it's amazing to know that the sex pistols were actually playing shows already in 1975 and this is uh, you know, one year after the second and last New York Dolls album. I mean, they were still they were still around. I mean, I, I don't remember exactly the history, but they kept coming and going. They went through that red patent leather era and all this. So they kept trying to uh, make it as a band. Even the Stooges, Iggy was trying to put together various things through, uh, you know, through the drug haze of those guys. So, you know, there there is a little more of a continuum between that break between old and new. But 
Of course, those were those were U.S. things. Um, and and I really I love the fact that basically uh, there are no punk albums until 1977, except for uh, a band that I'm not going to include in this. And I want to clear this up right now. This might come as a little bit of a surprise. So history and five songs, as you know, we pick five songs to make kind of five salient points about something or, or to map a little bit of a history. When we were kids, um, we kind of disqualified the Ramones from all this. Um, so there's going to be no Ramones in here, even though the Ramones' first album is really the first punk album. It comes out in 1976, and in, and by January 1977, the year we're going to talk about here, they already had a second album out, and it was pretty heavy stuff. But I remember <clears throat> a couple things about them that disqualified them. They felt a little bit too rock and roll. You know, that first album cover did not look scary and tough to us as kids. It looked a little bit like a uniform. There was still a little bit too much of a sting in our minds of uh, of shanana, of glam, of show bands. And and um, so, so this looked almost like a little bit too novelty. Then the big problem was Joey's voice. You know, I love the Ramones. I wrote a book on the Ramones. Um, they're a great band, and um, and I and I I grew to love them more. But at the time, the crazy, crazy thing was they kind of had a ceiling of six out of ten because of Joey's voice. Just was not into it. So there was something about you know there was there was the full on impressive heaviness of of Johnny just just hitting those muted chords. You know, good you know good solid guitar sounds throughout these albums. It it, it essentially dominated the mix. First album was a little dodgy, but it, it got really uh, quite heavy sounding through through uh, through Leaves Home and Rocket to Russia. Uh, but no, leaving them out because they did not have the uh, you know the impression, the effect back then in that magical year of 1977 on a metalhead um, uh, of the of these songs that we're going to mention. One other corollary I want to make here. Uh, I hope I'm using that word right. Uh, you know, this is a little bit punk. Punk for us in 77 was a little bit like, uh, you know, what they call the year punk broke, uh, facetiously Nirvana, grunge. Um, you know, Nirvana is 91. I suppose they're considering, or, I mean, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Nevermind is 91. So they're so they're considering it the year punk broke or whatever. But grunge was around since about 88. We're going to do a grunge episode, so I'll go into more of this later. But, you know, the the um, the cool thing about grunge that, that lines up with what happens in 77 is that there was something heavier about this new sound than, you know, if for grunge it was hair metal, for, for punk it was, uh, there's something heavier about what was going on with these punk bands than Kiss, Aerosmith, Ted Nugent, Blue Oyster Cult, I don't know, Heart, Journey, you name it, Derringer, Moxie, um, Sweet, uh, UFO, Thin Lizzy, uh, there was just something uh, something heavier, and we're going to get into that as, as we look at these songs. But the same thing happened with grunge. You know, with an extreme vocal from Kurt Cobain and with the doominess of Alice in Chains, there, there was just something heavier about that stuff. Uh, if you were a metalhead, you you immediately got into it because you realized it made it made the likes of Warrant and Winger. I mean, you always go to the W bands, but Slaughter, Kick Tracy, whatever, Trickster. Uh, uh, that that just made you think. Well, wait a minute. This actually is heavier. I'm going over here. So the same thing happened with punk. Although we didn't, you know, wholesale as kids go into punk because you know there were going to be more heavier albums spottily through the rest of the '70s, and then the new wave of British heavy metal breaks, and then we're everybody's happy again. Um, and and punk, by the way, has has gone through uh, sort of new wave in the states, post punk. Uh, it's it's you know moving into hardcore. 
So, you know, it, it mutates very quickly. But we're looking at this magical year of uh, 1977. So this is History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, original punk for metalheads. I want you guys to go back and play these albums. It may not be the same sort of magic for you, but realize this is from that magical time that, that a lot of our, our listeners are into. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of you did feel uh, the same way with this new extreme music uh, at the time. So, okay. So let's get into our first one. Let's play a little bit of music first and then we'll discuss. This is The Damned with Stab Your Back. Stab your back, stab your back, stab your back. All right, so The Damned. The cool thing about The Damned, first of all, they're one of my favorite bands of all time. I've said this over and over again on Facebook and in interviews or whatever. Uh, probably over the last 20 years, I've played more of The Damned than any band uh, on the planet. I just love these guys. I love all the phases they went through. But um, they are credited with being the band with the first punk single. And uh, and this is this is essentially... Um, this is essentially, uh, well, the first punk album. Let's put it that way. Uh, I can't remember if that's how this single thing works. Um, but definitely February 1977 with The Damned. It's called Damn, Damn, Damned. Um, it, it's considered the first punk album. And it's a real blow-up explosion of an album. It's super chaotic. It's crazy. It's heavy throughout. Uh, it's extreme in so many ways, especially welling up from the drums. Uh, Rat Scabies, you know, he's considered... Considered the the manic punk version of Keith Moon, uh, as you hear on this song, it's just a crazy heavy song. So this really starts off punk with a with a crazy explosion of uh, of yeah, this is some heavy stuff. And I remember. You know, one of the uh, one of the neat things at the time is that uh, you know Jimmy Page, famously out of touch, Jimmy Page, so they say. You know, and this time, you know, he's entering into that heroin phase and all this stuff, and and it, it gets even worse. Where during, um, you know, in through the outdoor, which is Led Zeppelin's mellowest album. So, so we're we're into an era here where, um, you know, we you want to talk about the biggest dinosaurs and punk, you know, sweeping away the dinosaurs and being out of touch. You know how they talk about sweeping away prog rock and Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin's as big as you can get and as big a dinosaur as you can get but I remember a quote kind of uh, you know making the rounds at the time in the magazines and cream and stuff where, where you know Jimmy was kind of like you know you could, I, I can picture eyes glazed over going I can't believe the energy coming out of this band that's kind of what the quote said and and he's hitting it right on the nose the energy here is just incredible you can hear it on stab your back I mean frankly I probably picked the heaviest song in this album um but, uh, you know, it it is crazy heavy and you can hear that there's something here that you're getting as a metalhead that's going to excite a metalhead that was missing from those from those perfectly, uh, you know, uh, stayed and studied big budget records from the likes of your Ted Nugent's and your and your Aerosmith's and especially Kiss, who's sounding, you know, very poppy in in comparison. This is really, you know, it's scary, scary music. And if I may go back to a memory, I mean, I remember my very first memories of punk were, um, 
seeing on TV uh, news reports of of these crazy bands with their ripped clothes and spiky hair and and the crowd spitting on them and them spitting back and you know I I think it was the Sex Pistols at the time uh, on TV Sex Pistols Damned Clash these reports from the UK and it was absolutely galvanizing and scary for a, for a kid uh, to to see this on TV and then and then uh, Cream magazine picked up on it Cream was you know always the best ear to the ground magazine Detroit scary you know dangerous dangerous so they're they're gonna they're gonna get into this stuff so um you know you started reading about this stuff pretty early as well so early 77 let's move on to our second selection in original punk for metalheads um let's play this and talk about it this is the saints from australia this is a little something called erotic neurotic i want to be your lover baby i want to be your man Okay, again, so you hear crazy heaviness out of the guitar sound here. Again, uh, it's it's the production. It's the uh, it's the uh, anarchic. Uh, heavy, uh, almost distorted on purpose. That's a that's a neat thing you get with punk, where you where you get the first vestiges of bands who who kind of want to record dirty on purpose. Now we we've heard this before, you know, notably through uh, through Iggy and the Stooges' Raw Power, nineteen seventy three, um, but you're getting it with the Saints as well. The cool thing about the Saints. Well, this is a crazy, crazy heavy album, but the thing I love about The Saints the most is that their second album, Eternally Yours from 1978, is probably, you know, it's definitely my top three or four favorite punk albums of all time. I just love it. It's super heavy. After that, they um, they went kind of weirdly Celtic and acoustic. It's almost like they threw all their distortion pedals into the Indian Ocean or something. Um, you know, it's it's a little bit like that transition that the Waterboys make. Although wa- the Waterboys aren't doing it away from punk into Celtic, but the the Saints are, and and they essentially. I think it's called uh, Prehistoric Sounds. Yeah, the third album, and then on and on. Uh, it's it's just a very cool acoustic sound, but it's not punk anymore. And many many punk bands did that. Um, went went pretty mellow or post punk in some way. But yeah, you're hearing crazy heaviness with this. The thing with the Saints, if you look at that album cover, uh, it, this is so early, and they also had earlier singles. I mean, they're they're they qualify as the earliest punk singles of all time as well, because you go back to '76 for them. Um, but there, there's some long hair there. They're not dressing particularly punk but they're coming from australia i mean this is this is like they're not expected to be in the know um you know directly immersed into exactly what's going on in in england in 1975 um 76 75 um, but so so essentially they they make this crazy heavy album the other thing about them that's a that's a little bit on a negative is they have a little bit of that ramones history of rock and roll thing you know this is not so far removed from mods and rockers and that idea of the rockers and you know count bishops and all of us shanana like i say um so there's a little bit of kind of rock and rolliness to the saints a little bit of uh girl groups original 50s rock and roll but really um you know this album is just wall to wall heavy guitars dominating the mix throughout as you can hear uh, in that song all right so let's take a little break uh, and hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back 
When we dropped the first few episodes of Rock and Roll Archaeology into the feed three and a half years ago, little did we know that this telling of rock and roll history would become a pantheon of rock and roll podcasts. Since many of you first joined us on our rock and roll exploration, the halls of the rock and roll pantheon have filled with shows like Deeper Digs in Rock, Rock and Roll Librarian, Muses, Art of Rock with Caution Friends, Real Rock with the Reverend Andy King, Miss Pamela's Pajama Party, Vinyl Snob, and more. We are proud of this one-of-a-kind approach to an audio magazine of high-quality shows. That is Pantheon, and thank you for your support. We couldn't have done it without you, our diggers who listen to all of our shows. And now, we are excited to let you know that every show available as part of Pantheon can be found in their own podcast feed to subscribe to in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the shows you've come to love. We look forward to adding more shows to fill the halls here in our Pantheon of Rock and Roll and find them all at PantheonPodcast.com. Keep up the rockin'. Okay, so back with History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff. This episode is called Original Punk for Metalheads. I'm um, going to pick a little bit of an oddball here because this is, uh, this is the least heavy of our five. Uh, well, let's play a little bit of it first and then we'll discuss. This is The Clash with Protex Blue. All right, so Protex Blue, um, what I like about this choice is that you do hear a little bit of a, of a heavy metal riff out of these guys. This album, the first Clash album, um, you know, we're now up into uh, April of 77, so it's not particularly late in 77. They're still super early in on the ground uh, with punk. The cool thing about the Clash that that would inflame the hearts and minds of a of a of a budding metalhead um is that they looked really scary i mean they you know those early pictures they did have the ripped clothes you know that the the safety pins the snarling faces not smiling the spiky hair you know filmed in in like squalid uh uk conditions the spray painted shirts so you know even though people grouse that um you know, there's a little bit of uh, of studiedness to their Clash look. I mean, Joe is coming from the 101ers and all this, who were a little more of a retro rock and roll pub rock band. Um, but, um, you know, the, the, the and, you know, in the UK, you know, people sneer, things move so fast over there, people sneer that punk died when the Clash got signed to CBS. I mean, give me a break. It's so, so early in punk still. Um, but this album, you know, what we liked about it as kids was that um, the songs were short, they were varied, there was a lot of punk energy to them. 
very anarchic with things like board in the USA and white riot. You know, it sounded like UK was disintegrating and it was at the time. I remember, you know, vaguely, this is looking back. I mean, we, I don't think we were super aware of this as kids, but there were, there was a lot of labor unrest, the minor strikes. I mean, was this not, I, I believe the summer of 77 was like the hottest summer in the UK. You know, it was recessionary times. Things were grimy and bad. People were living in squats in London. Hard to believe now, but you know, there's a lot of, you know, broken down, decaying buildings. There's a, there's a, you know, a, a parallel there with New York City uh, as as it moves through uh, the 70s and the 80s to, to what it has become now, of course. You know, there's there's not a lot of massive derelict buildings people squatting in in Manhattan these days. Um, so, um, yeah, they, they looked really scary, but this album was not super heavy. I mean, we liked it, but we didn't love it as kids because there was just, it, there was just a little bit of a weirdness to it. But, you know, The Clash bring up another interesting point, and, that's, uh, and this is something we kind of learned later on or in retrospect realizing um, kind of an illumination. Something about being heavy, um, being heavy metal, being punk, whatever, being heavy music, extreme music, let's call it extreme music, is... The vocal. When you have an extreme vocal, it makes a difference. So thinking back, it's like the Ramones was heavier in the music, but the vocal was so non-extreme. Um, you know, it was relaxed and it was very clean. And it was this weird kind of dweeby voice coming out of Joey. That's why we completely rejected the Ramones at the time. But The Clash was accepted, even though the music wasn't as heavy, because you had Joe Strummer with that scary British voice. You know, Britain was an exotic place to us, right? Um it just seemed like this scary, exotic, weird place. All our favorite bands were from there. Uh, it just seemed different. And then punk was like, you know, when you're 14 years old and you're looking at you think the world's coming to an end when you see, you know, what, what these punks are up to and why they're up to it in the UK at that time. Um, so The Clash definitely personified that look, Joe Strummer's voice. Unfortunately, the song I just picked, Protex Blue, is one sung by Mick Jones. So here you're getting the the clean, naive, uh, you know, boyish voice. Uh, but you are getting a pretty heavy song. And uh, and the other cool thing about The Clash is, is this record had pretty good production. Um, so it had a good bottom end. It had good, good bass and drums. The guitars, there's various guitar sounds on the album. Um, but it is generally, you know, pretty nasty. Everything about The Clash is pretty nasty okay speaking of nasty moving on uh let's take a little listen to this and then we shall discuss this is the dead boys with down in flames All right, so here is our first American entry, and we love this album as kids. I mean, Young, Loud, and Snotty, that that album cover it looked scary as, as hell. I mean, these guys are standing there in an alley. They're looking they're looking like a bunch of thugs. This album was crazy heavy. Um, you know, uh, Young, Loud, and Snotty for 1977 was a, was a very heavy album, from the guitars through to Stiv Bader's completely extreme vocals. Uh, you know, just basically shouting at you like you're going to get mugged. Um, 
you know, they're from Cleveland, but they're really considered a New York band uh, in some ways because they spent so much time in New York and they were so part of that CBGB scene. You know, literally 77, you know, they are the heaviest band at CBGBs. I mean, what else is there? There's Ramones, there's the, um, there's the Dictators. Uh, but but this is the heaviest band down there. And and in a way, this almost parallels the, uh, you know, the, the post-punk rise of, uh, of uh, UK uh, hard, hardcore um you know at uh, LA hardcore um UK subs you know UK subs comes in 79 and says hey wait a minute whatever happened to the heaviness of punk well dead boys are almost like the early hyper early version of that saying you know what it what is all this patty smith and talking heads all around this place and blondie this is ridiculous music that's the way we felt we hated that stuff uh but and dead boys were just obliterating the place they're just like saying ramones you think you're heavy listen to this so so this album you know sonic reducer gets covered by metal bands later i mean basically this is a crazy heavy album and they absolutely deserve to be here they were the heaviest american band period uh heavier than anything in canada too i'm going to mention the canadian band when we get to our honorable mentions so okay that's it for the dead boys um well i want to mention one more thing they made a second album they only made two albums the second one was called uh we have come for your children or down to kill it's kind of weird uh i've i have a i have a version of it uh my version says down to kill on the record label i mean i guess they were wondering what we were going to call this thing anyways it's a little bit cleaner but it's still pretty heavy it's got son of sam on it and stuff like that um Still a pretty heavy album, but it was a little poppy. But the first one is is crazy out of control. Um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely recommend that album out of all of these for an actual metalhead uh, to to check out. Okay, moving on, we're up to number five. We're on our last one for history and five songs with Martin Popoff. It's the last. It's the best. You know who this is? Sex Pistols. Problems. Let's take a listen. Okay, so I picked Problems for a reason. I mean, I, I, it is one of the heaviest songs on this album, and this album, never mind the bollocks, here's the Sex Pistols, is one of the heaviest albums of all the 70s. Every metalhead worth his salt, you know, who started a thrash band, uh, all of those guys from the Big Four, they all loved the Sex Pistols. This was a crazy heavy album. Um, and everything about it just, uh, just, you know, was perfect for a metalhead. So... Let, let's start. Okay, so so the vocals. The vocals were the one thing that were a little bit strange. I mean, Johnny Rotten's voice was a little bit nerdy, a little bit high, a little bit hysteric. He wasn't as as you know authoritatively heavy as a, as even a Joe Strummer or a Steve Bader's, but. He was smart uh, and he was scary. The things he was saying, you know, these were intelligent lyrics. Um, so that was cool. And on the vocal end um, as well, the backing vocals. You get to those big. British gang vocals, and again, this is this is apocalyptic. This is society falling down. This is uh, soccer hooliganism vocals. You did not get these kinds of vocals uh, out of out of any bands in uh, you know America or Canada or whatever. So th- so that really was scary. The backing vocals of the Pistols. It sounded like a gang walking down the street, and you're definitely going to get uh, get your your. They're going to get the boot in, as they say, or or you're going to get your wallet taken, or you're going to or you're going to get stuck you know with a knife or something right i mean they were they were very cool uh very scary vocals 
uh, very strong, uh, very masculine vocals. Uh, unlike Johnny, who who is who is more like I say, kind of like this nerdy dweeby uh, c- kind of twang uh, to his voice, but still pretty cool. Um, the, at the music end, Steve Jones, I mean, this is the famously, uh, you know, well-recorded punk album where the guitars are double and triple tracked. Everything is just big, meaty chords start to finish. There are no ballads. There is nothing mellow. I remember as kids, the only song that we thought was even remotely mellow was um, 17 uh, and a little bit in uh, a little bit in anarchy in the UK, and and a little bit in pretty vacant. But other than that, everything was super heavy. I remember my version was a was an English version, the first one I got, and then I got a Canadian version. And the Canadian version added uh, submission, which was kind of a doomy slow heavy song. So yeah, absolutely crazy heavy album. They only made album uh, one album. Uh, great rock and roll swindle doesn't really count. So they only made one album. They made the very best punk album. Everybody thinks so. I think so. Uh, and it's super, super heavy. So in terms of uh, original punk for metalheads, this is one that everybody knows and loves. So if, if you were even just a little deep into uh, into this kind of music as a metalhead, you knew the Sex Pistols. Some of these other records, maybe maybe not so much. So there you go. The best for last. Uh, in, in the chronology of things, I did arrange these uh, chronologically, by the way. So you had The Damned, February 77. Saints, February 77. Clash, April 77. Dead Boys, uh, uh, October 77 and Sex Pistols, October, uh, actually October 28, 77. So the end of 77. So all of this heavy music is coming out at this time. And again, I, I have to reiterate, not very many heavy albums. If you were an angry young metalhead like me, um, 78 didn't have much improvement. 79 was uh, was famously a n- nadir year for all of our heavy bands, including the punk bands, you know, other than the damned with Machine Gun Etiquette, uh, you know, and, and UK subs coming around. But but essentially, um, you know, it it didn't get, you know, the manna from heaven for a metalhead didn't happen until the new wave of British heavy metal 1980. So, uh, so this stuff really, really helped push things along and, and give us something else to be excited about. So just wanted to mention a few honorable mentions before we, uh, leave uh, you for the day. Um, Buzzcocks got that pretty early on, but that's a March 78 album. They're only quite heavy album is is the first one uh the debut i remember my copy came in that silver bag uh you know the uk issue of it a beautiful design and then it came in actually like a silver shopping bag which is really cool in canada our situation was a little funny so in canada you know i i came from a small town in bc um there was no early punk coming out of Vancouver, but the heaviest punk did come out of Vancouver, in Vancouver for all of Canada, and that would have been the Subhumans with Incorrect Thoughts. I believe that's 1980, and the um, the first DOA album was 80. The second DOA album was 81. But you know, there's no real badge of honor or uh, or impressiveness to being heavy in 80 and 81, uh, because by this time the UK was even delivering us, uh, you know, their own version of hardcore, and LA was coming up with some heavy stuff. So, I mean, it's late at this point. And, you know, frankly, with the new wave of British heavy metal coming coming around, it was like, see you later. I didn't even get into hardcore. Um, There was was enough cool, cool metal uh, coming out at that point. But... 
we had our one heavy album and it came from Toronto. Now Toronto, you know, was this faraway place. I happen to live here now. I've been here for 30 years, but at that point, uh, you know, one of Canada's hobbies is everybody hates Toronto because everybody's kind of jealous of Toronto. It's the, it's the center of the universe for Canada, blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff, the economic engine. But we used to sneer at Toronto as kids because their punk was, was really lame. There wasn't anything coming out. Um, you know, it was like, uh, what, what are they called? Modern something, B-Girls. I mean, it, there were no albums, first of all. Um, Vile Tones was kind of a heavy band, notorious band with Steve Leckie. They put out this uh, this 12-inch with Screaming Fist on it, which was pretty heavy. But the only band to, to put out an album was the Diodes. And, uh, and their first album, uh, they got a major label deal, at least in Canada, uh, a CBS Columbia deal in Canada. Uh, for their self-titled debut album, and it is heavy as hell. It's really heavy. Again, the vocals might rub you a little, little the wrong way, but check it out. This is kind of an underrated or underknown, under the radar album that is basically pretty heavy metal, start to finish. It's it's all big meaty guitar rock, and it's uh, it's 1977. So uh, it literally is the only badge of honor I could say uh, coming out of all of Canada for a heavy punk album. Um, in the early days. Uh, the other honorable mentions, The Vibrators with Pyromania, got that early. That's a 77 album. Loved their second one as well, V2. Boomtown Rats. Boomtown Rats had a pretty heavy album for a debut, the self-titled, in 77. Well-recorded. Uh, Mutt Lang actually uh, worked on this. Um, and there's some good heavy riffing on that first Boomtown Rats album. And then they quickly went away and got pretty mellow, much to our chagrin. Uh, the Adverts is early, but it's actually into early 78. So um, what is it called? One Chord Wonders and Gary Gilmore's Eye and all that off of Crossing the Red Sea with the Adverts. You know, the, the album doesn't really hold up as well as I kind of wished it would. Um, Eater the album 77 and then back to the state Suicide Commandos into 78 which was a cool frantic her, uh, early album out of Minneapolis. So there you have it. I've really gone on a long time with this one. Um, I don't want every episode to be this long, but I love this early punk stuff. I love talking about it. I wrote a Clash book as well, of course. I love The Clash. Uh, they are one of my favorite bands of all time. I mention them also though because um, the next album was pretty heavy, which is an odd thing to have happen in 78, give them enough rope. And then London Calling really opened up my ears to uh, all sorts of non-heavy music. Loved London Calling, not heavy album at all. And so it was that, and, you know, ironically, a lot of prog. So basically, 79, 80, you know, my horizons were were um you know widening very quickly and i and i can thank the clash for that and some of these other post-punk albums by uh, by some of these bands especially the boomtown rats i love their second and third records um so i'm gonna leave it with you at that i hope you go check out these bands um I love that I was able to mention all those honorable mentions because if you really want to find all the heavy punk from 1977 I dare say I think I might have mentioned it all. I hope I haven't missed anything in terms of, at least in terms of bands that made actual full albums. There you go. Signing off, Martin Popoff for History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff. We shall talk to you next time. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at The RNRAP. 
We are on Instagram at R&R Archaeology. Tweet us at R&R Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com. Code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.